When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Monday, October 4, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Dave Floyd of Aspen Trading Group. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what's happening in these markets. Let's just be blunt, not a great day, not a great close. Looks like NASDAQ 100 is the big loser on the day here off. Uh, looks like about 2.1% uh, closing down at 14,472. Uh, across U.S. equity markets, let's see. Uh, Dow Jones Industrial Average is just settling around the 34K mark, 34,002 off, zero spot 94%, call it about a percent off. Uh, S&P 500 uh, at the 4,300 mark settling down here at the end of the day off one spot three percent uh, and the nasdaq composite looks like off 2.1 percent on the day closing it out at 14,255. let's pull dave floyd back into the action dave welcome back to the show hey thanks ash for having me appreciate it good day to be on here yeah a lot of activity uh, by the way, our audience has been growing by leaps and bounds. Dave, you haven't been mm -hmm. on for a couple months. Tell folks for who are not familiar, who haven't heard you on this show before, a little bit about what kind of trading you do and how you look at markets. Yeah, sure. Not a problem at all. Um, you know, my trading is definitely swing trading oriented, and I kind of define swing trading as anything where a position lasts for several days, maybe a week or two. That's kind of my sweet spot. You know, other people may have a slight variation on how they define swing trading, but I think that pretty much encapsulates it. I think the one thing that um, I do that's a little bit unique is I pretty much stick to the same stable of instruments day in and day out. I trade the S&P futures, 10-year note futures, um, and a handful of the, the G10 currencies like the Euro, Aussie, Kiwi dollar, Euro, Sterling cross. Um, you know, my, my belief is that a very narrow focus and kind of an intimate knowledge of, of the uh, instruments you trade does provide a little bit of an edge for sure. Um, not maybe each and every day, but there are moments when you just have a feel for the way your, your instruments are trading. Right. Um, you know, for me, I've evolved my trading process over the years, like all traders. Um, you know, for many, for many of the last few years, I've been kind of rooted in Elliott Wave and Fibonacci and kind of taking some of my tape reading skills from way, way back when. Uh, but in the last year or so, I've really evolved to something more objective, which is what I wanted, which is basically support and resistance driven. You know, I've, I've done my own work internally here to kind of come up with my own mathematically derived support and resistance levels to kind of take all the subjectivity out of it. Because I think the most, the, the way most people do support and resistance is they look at the chart and they, they find a few points that line up where the prices have stopped going higher or stopped going lower and said, hey, there's a support, there's a resistance. And you know, there may be some validity to that, but that's a subjective approach. I wanted something that was more based on, you know, math, you know, where prices actually took place over a period of time. So, you know, price and time is basically my focus in terms of 
deriving support and resistance levels. And when prices break those levels, I'm expecting moves, you know, away from those levels, basically uh, the start of a new trend or, you know, uh, um, a short-term move for lack of a better term. Yeah, so there you have it. That's the summary. Uh, tell us, you mentioned looking at the tape, analyzing the tape. What does the tail of the tape tell us today? Obviously, a lot of momentum uh, to the downside. What are you seeing there right now? You know, I actually think it's a, a culmination of what we've seen over the last few weeks. Um, we've seen the market struggle at much higher levels, up to that 4,500 level. We just couldn't seem to make headway. And that was very unusual because every other period over the last year or two, Whenever we get into a phase where the market seemed like it was having a hard time making new highs, it eventually did. And this time it didn't. You know, there were so many attempts at doing it. And again, as a trader, you know, you can look at it objectively or you can look at it and form an opinion, which, of course, is usually a dangerous thing. Um, but for the last couple of years, they've always moved them higher. Uh, this time they didn't do it. They've been breaking them lower each successive time. And then uh, today's a great example. You know, we moved down to the lows, you know, down around 42, yeah, 42.75, which basically I had pegged for a, a target zone after the break of 43.32. We never got a bounce. We, we traded sideways all session. The, the, the real action was on in the opening hour. Everything from the, uh, from the opening hour on was basically a chop fest. I, I did nothing today after the first hour. And in retrospect, that was a good thing because we just held the support level. But the key thing is we never, the dipsters, as I like to call them, never came in to be buyers at, quote unquote, attractive level. So ending you know, near the lows, not on the lows, I think is indicative of what's happening. It looks as though we've probably got more downside to go. Yeah. So the BTFD crowd didn't show up today. No, they didn't. What does that stand for again? <laughs> by the dips. I forget. Yeah, by the dips. Yep. And again, hey, you know what? Those, that group of, you know, that time zone or time frame of newer traders, newer generational traders, that's all they've known. And you know yeah. what? They've been right. And that's okay. But markets are always in flux. Things always change. Maybe this is the start of, you know, slightly new dynamic in the market where people have to make an adjustment or they realize, newsflash here, markets don't always go straight up. Yeah. By the way, uh, for everyone who's listening out there who now has a great sense of what it is you do, please feel free to drop some questions in on the Real Vision platform, on the Real Vision Exchange, or you can ping them directly to me at Ash Bennington on Twitter. Uh, I'm sure I know there are a lot of folks I can see coming up in the document who are asking questions right now. Uh, one other question for you, Dave, uh, while we're on this line of thought. You mentioned the 10-year Treasury note. Give us a little bit of sense on what you think you see there uh, in terms of yield. Yeah, really interesting, Ash. I mean, on a day like today, you would expect yields to be moving lower and, you know, Treasury note prices going higher. It's been very consistent over the last few days. That hasn't happened. Yeah. You know, my wife, my wife poked her head into my office this morning before I came into my office office here. And she goes, yeah, I'm reading all about this PCE core inflation. I was like, don't worry, darling, it's transitory. <laughs> of course, you got a big chuckle out of that. But Bond market's starting to say that maybe there isn't transitory inflation out there. So you asked about yields specifically. I mean, last year's uh, last year's last week's break above 1.4 percent, all the way up to about 1.54. Prices haven't come back in very far in from there. So that that's really interesting. And 
not a good thing. I mean, if you're an equity investor and bonds aren't rallying while, while, bond, while stocks are selling off, that's a big warning flag that we haven't seen in quite some time. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm really curious about, uh, uh, Dave, when you talk about uh, the transitory, alleged transitory nature of inflation, uh, as the chair, uh, Jay Powell, describes it, I'm curious, you're not uh, an economist or a philosopher, you're a trader. What do you look for? What do you see? And how do you know whether or not uh, we're heading into a period that looks as though this inflation may or may not continue? Well, you know, like you said, I I'm a trader. Uh, the more I philosophize, philosophize, well, whatever that word is, the more I kind of get philosophical about the market or try to, you know, take my bachelor's degree in economics and form an opinion, the less effective I am. Market doesn't care about my opinion. Um, what, what the market cares about is you following the cues that it takes. And I think that's the key thing as a trader. So, you know, root yourself in price action. So from my perspective, given the fact that rates are moving higher, either the bond market, which of course is the be all and end all in my opinion, because that's where money is priced. And you often hear the statement on Wall Street, the smart money is in the fixed income market. And that's probably true because everything is, you know, based on the price of money. So I would, I tend to believe that the 10 year, the 10 year yield is probably the most accurate representation of what the, you know, the smart money crowd is, is expecting going forward. As of right now, they don't seem to think that inflation is indeed transitory, or maybe they're looking at something in terms of the budget negotiations. I don't really know. Right. All I know is that 10 year yields are heading higher. That's not a good thing for the equity market. And it's not a good thing for, you know, for the economy overall. Yeah. Yeah. I joke about the philosophers because sometimes when you listen to Fed speak, it sounds like, I don't know, like a, like a medieval church doctor uh, yeah. holding forth on how many angels can dance on the head of a pin uh, when mm -hmm. markets are clearly weighing in uh, in one direction or the other. Dave, let me ask you this while we're talking about rates. How do you think about the term structure uh, across the yield curve? Uh, what do you look at as benchmarks? How do you think they're related or interrelated at this point or not? I don't get into that a great deal in terms of like curve flattening, curve steepening, although it is important to be aware of it. I try to just focus on what 10-year rates are doing because the style of trading that I do is not so in, in, um, entrenched in, you know, different points within the yield curve. You know, if, if I was solely a rates trader and, you know, looking to kind of take advantage of the, the, the slope of the yield curve, that'd be something I'd be paying a whole lot more attention to. But for me, I keep it pretty simple. You know, I, I keep it a, a, a correlation between rates and note prices and rates and what equities are doing. But nonetheless, that is important stuff. But in all, in all fairness to the viewer, I don't spend enough time there to really offer an insight that they're going to have a, a good takeaway from. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Yeah. Well, let me ask you this then, Dave. Why the 10-year? Uh, why at the belly of the curve? Why not the 5? Why not the 20? What does the 10 tell you that you don't see elsewhere? Seems to be kind of that sweet spot in the curve. Uh, I mean, obviously, short-term rates are, are important, as are long-term. 
Um, but it just seems to be the one whenever I'm talking to my colleagues who I've known for years who've been in the markets, everybody's always referring to the 10-year, unless you're talking to the really esoteric rates traders where they're talking about the, you know, the, the slope of the curve, the inversion, the steepness, all that type of stuff. But you know, for the lay person, I guess, for lack of a better term, tenure just seems to be kind of the um, the one you go to. Kind of like if you're trading currencies, you know, the dollar index is kind of the barometer for what should be happening in related FX pairs. Yeah. Uh, let me jump in and just start hitting some questions because they're coming. Sure. Curious. Uh, the first one comes to us from Jack from the RV site. Uh, and the question is, what is the, the catalyst for the tech sell-off in bond yields? only moved a few basis points. So I guess he's asking what the, uh, if you, you see any catalysts uh, on the tech side uh, in the bond market. Well, you know, last week, and again, I'm, I'm not trying to use, you know, uh, time machine analysis because this actually was apparent to myself and all my clients last week. You know, technically anything above 1.4 last week, meaning if yields moved above that, there was no doubt we were gonna start moving higher probably up towards about 1.65. At least that's how I frame the market. Once we get above that, that, that step, so to speak, of 1.4-ish on the 10-year, that basically let, you know, set in motion um, for yields to go higher. So you know, technically now what I'd be expecting is for rates to move up to around 1.66. Now, it may not happen tomorrow. It may not happen by the end of the week. But that's kind of the general direction we're going. I would say what what traders should be looking for over the next 24 hours is kind of the 148, 149 level. If we hold there, because we, you know, rates came in a little bit over the last um, you know, day or so, or since uh, since last night when futures markets opened. Um, you know, if we hold 148, I think we go to 154 pretty quick. And again, that's that's a relatively modest move in rates, but that would certainly put a lot of pressure on notes. Notes today closed just above 132, 10 year notes that is. You know, um, there's a lot of overhead resistance at 132.08, so I wouldn't be surprised if we see notes break back below 132, which means rates are probably heading towards 154 plus. Interesting. So a lot of questions coming in right now. Uh, Dave, I admire and respect the fact that you keep it the focus to a narrow scope of instruments, so please feel free to punt the ball uh, if any of these questions are about instruments that you don't look at uh, or don't give signals to the instruments that you do trade. Uh, this one comes to us, I think, from Jack as well. Uh, and the mm -hmm. question is, Mr. Floyd, are you seeing any funny action in the Chinese bond market, sovereign, IG, or high yield? Uh, and I think it's within the context of potential uh, bleed through into U.S. fixed income. Um, in all fairness, the answer is I'm, I'm not looking at that and I have not noticed that. However, I think it's a great question um, because I do think this... Um, Evergrande situation could become problematic. I mean, again, I'm stating the obvious. Uh, anybody right. who's been paying attention would would know that you know, hey, this could be a real problem. The fact that it seems to have come and gone so quickly to me is a major red flag. Again, maybe nothing comes of it. Who knows? But um, when everybody's quick to dismiss something that is obviously very large, um, I think it's it does us. Uh, you do yourself a, a favor by keeping that on the forefront, but. So, but to answer the question directly, you know, again, not something I'm paying a lot of attention to. Normally what happens though, is those, those contagions or however you wanna phrase it there, Jack, um, they're automatically telegraphed via the rates market, via the dollar, and even of course, and then vis-a-vis during, during the, uh, uh, into the S&P market, NASDAQ futures, et cetera, et cetera. 
Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not helpful to kind of keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening over there, but that that information is so instantaneously reflected in in the U.S. markets, which of course is you know, kind of the central place for the world. Um, that you know you may not know why they did something, but you certainly see it really quickly. And then out, it's kind of like shoot first, ask questions later. It's like, oh, well, that was why ten-year notes, you know, just spiked, or the why they sold off, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. But, you know, just go back. One thing you did say, Ash, there, you know, one of the things that is nice about kind of looking at the market via, you know, support and resistance is that I can pull up any any symbol and, you know, kind of know what my what my levels would be. Just because I don't trade those markets doesn't mean I can't look at them and say, hey, you know, looks as though this level would be pretty key. So if people have questions on some individual securities, I'm happy to pull them up. Yeah. Do you have a question for you for people who may be novices uh, to technical trading when they hear about support and resistance levels? Yeah. Why do they work? What's the significance and why do they work as they do? Well, I guess, you know, in the classic sense, and I, I talked about this earlier in, in our in our conversation, you know, if you're using, let's say, um, a resistance level, obviously a price or a yeah, price level where prices have been able unable to break through. The logic goes as such. Um, prices haven't been able to go above that level. Um, so people are buying and then they're selling because the prices aren't moving and you know they're taking small losses. Or maybe a lot of people are getting short. And then once prices break above that level, you have two things happening. And again, I'm speculating here, but this is a reasonable interpretation of what happens. You've got the people that want it to be long finally going back in again because, you know, the first couple of times they got nipped out with you know, tight stop loss, you know, the fear of missing out crowd, um, or, or and you've got the folks that may have done a lot of shorting into that resistance level expecting prices to move lower that are now suddenly on the wrong side of the market. They're buying stock to end up, you know, to cover their positions. And then it becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. So again, they're not, you know, they're not perfect. Not every support and resistance level that's broken results in a, in, a, in a beautiful trend, higher or lower. But that's the logic behind it, is that you're looking for areas in the market where there's kind of a standoff between the bulls and the bears. And then finally, one side seeds the fight and prices move in the opposite direction. Hopefully, you pick the right side. And I think the key thing is, is that it's always better to be in harmony with the trend. So if you're in an uptrend, meaning prices are sloping upwards to the right and you're hitting a resistance level, don't try to be the hero and short it. You know, just wait for maybe to be a buyer and have a trend continuation. It doesn't mean that selling into resistance and an uptrend won't work. It's just a lower probability type trade setup. Yeah, so it's as much about human psychology as it is about mathematics. Uh, and as yeah. you point out, the short's getting squeezed out, particularly on the resistance to the upside. Here's a great question that I would love to know the answer to. It comes to us from AB from the Real Vision website, not me, AB, a different AB. Uh, mm -hmm. And the question is, Dave, do you look at the COT data? For those who don't know, that's commitment of trader uh, data. Uh, and if so, what are some broad pointers that you think about in terms of that data set? I, I'm aware of it acutely. Um, I, I like to kind of be aware of it when institutional or quote, quote unquote big money, the hedgers, are leaning in one direction that tends to be, you know, uh, it can be an indication of maybe where prices are going, but it doesn't really factor into my day-to-day -day trading. And again, you know, this highlights a it's a great question and it highlights what all newer traders and even seasoned traders have to deal with. 
there's so much information coming at us. I mean, information now is so cheap. It's almost, you know, it's almost worthless on some of it because anybody can get whatever they want. The challenge is, is knowing what to look at. And I would make an argument that you could look at just being a commitment of traders type trader, and that's all you focus on. And eventually over time, you'll figure out your edge. Um, but the problem most people have is they hear about somebody talking about that and then like, well, I'm going to, I'll add that in or I'll go look at that. And before you know it, you've gone down 20 different rabbit holes and you got nothing to show for it. Um, I've taken my fair share of knocks every year for the last 26 odd years about you don't trade enough. You only look at these same markets. And I'm like, I'm not here for the entertainment. Right. I'm here to make some money. And like any profession, you've got to hone in what you want to focus in on and kind of tune the rest out. Yeah. By the way, that should be a, like a real vision uh, clip. That's just such a brilliantly stated point. It's not about uh, it's not about sort of, uh, again, sort of playing noble philosopher king. It's about executing against a strategy that you have and monetizing. And, and not being afraid to go hit it again and again and again. Even when you have four or five losing trades in a row, which is going to happen, that doesn't mean that the, your approach is broken, but it does it suck? Heck yeah, it sucks. Nobody likes to lose four or five times in a row, but it will happen. Uh, you're also gonna win four or five times in a row. And that also doesn't mean you've solved the holy grail of the market. It just means, you know, the roll of the dice were in your favor for that period of time. It, it, it's a grind. And, and I mean that in a, not in a bad way, but it is a grind, you know, it's, um, you got to you got to dismiss yourself of the shiny object syndrome because the quicker you do that, the quicker you'll get on a path of consistency. Yeah, and it's clearly a grind that you love. Twenty six years uh, and yeah. counting. Here's one that comes to us from Sean. This is an interesting question. Sean wants to know. This is from YouTube. Uh, what's your opinion on gold and commodities with rising yields, if you have one? Um, I have a little bit of a view. I mean. The price of oil is quite interesting. And again, it's problematic. I mean, given the fact that we were up two and a half, almost two and a half percent on the day in oil, or actually I'm looking at USO, which is the ETF, but, you know, it tracks the price of oil, generally speaking, pretty well. Uh, there's some tracking error, but by and large, you know, oil was up pretty big today. That's, that's problematic. You know, gold, man, you know, gold's supposed to be, you know, this bastion of a safe haven and inflation hedge, but you know, gold itself was you know, only up fractionally today. I can only think that, you know, we're in a different era. I hate to say that because whenever people, when everybody says that, it's usually the wrong thing. But we do have, you know, cryptocurrencies nowadays. And maybe those are, you know, the beneficiaries of some of the uncertainty and whatnot. Again, I'm completely speculating there. I, I, I'm not making trades based on that. But the right. fact that commodity prices are firm, again, that's problematic. Really, I mean, we're not in a transitory inflation environment, at least as of right now, we're not. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Yeah, you know, it's funny. You wouldn't be the first person I've heard speculate about the potential uh, breakage between gold uh, and inflation and some other sort of risk hedging 
through uh, the new flows into cryptocurrency. It seems like it's certainly a factor in some capacity. Uh, what yeah. exactly the correlation is hard to say, uh, but it definitely seems to be playing a factor. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, you know, crypto, I don't trade crypto, but I do track it because it is part of the ecosystem nowadays. You know, they've been just kind of moving sideways for a few days. They had a nice spike up last week and you know, we broke above right here. I'm just looking at my charts here, above 49,117. That is a, well, actually 49,100, give or take. You know, they look pretty constructive in here. So, you know, maybe rather than, rather than things going to gold today, it looks as though they kind of flowed into crypto a little bit. I mean, Bitcoin up almost 3%, Ethereum up 3.6, you know? Yeah. So fun fact for people listening out there, of course, there is no reg NMS, no NBBBO on Bitcoin. So the exact number that you're going to see on your screen right now depends on how you're seeing the uh, the weighting from which source it comes from. So there isn't a single price uh, on Bitcoin or Ethereum or the other coins. So always something to bear in mind if you see a different price on your screen right now. Uh, Dave, here's one that I think is right in your wheelhouse. It comes to us uh, from Tushar M. And the question is, uh, Dave, could you please talk about the Swiss franc in general uh, and the Swissy euro pair in particular? Happy to talk about dollar Swiss for sure. Um, definitely one I keep track of. I don't trade it all that often, but let me just pull it up right here. And again, just give you my opinion on it from a, from a technical standpoint. I'm looking at this. I'm just going to pull this up on a, on a four-hour chart. Let's give it a chance here. I mean, the fact of the matter is what I do know while that's loading is the dollar index broke higher last week. Again, no real mystery. I think 93.43 was the level. Yeah, 93.43. So I think we've, we've, we've taken out that, uh, that resistance level, and I think we'll continue to see the dollar move higher. Um, that should, um, should be good for dollar Swiss, but it really hasn't, which is kind of interesting. But bear in mind, the Swiss franc is a minor in fact, I, don't even, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm kind of embarrassed about this. But even if it's not, it's a minor part of the dollar index. Therefore, whatever the dollar in, index is doing, you don't necessarily see that reflected in the Swiss franc. What you might be seeing in the Swiss franc today, because it was, it was um, off, or the Swiss franc was higher today, dollar Swiss was lower, is probably a more of a function of what you would have expected to see in gold. I mean, gold moves higher as the market moves lower. I think what you saw today was a safe haven play in dollar Swiss. And here's what I would look at. I think the fact that, you know, from a technical perspective, to answer the uh, viewer's question, we broke below 92.83 this morning or today. Um, that's a pretty that's a pretty key support level that was taken out. And we closed below the next really key one at 92.53. My downside target would be 91.50. Now, again, maybe that doesn't happen tomorrow. Maybe that doesn't happen by the end of the week. But based on the way I look at support and resistance, we usually we we go from one one side of the support you know the support resistance channel usually to the other side, you know once those levels are broken it's kind of like a um, like a gravitational pull. So the fact that we broke down on dollar Swiss today would would lead me to be bearish dollar Swiss or bullish the Swiss franc. Ninety one fifty would be my downside target. Yeah, I should say it looks like you're spot on there, Dave. It looks like three point six percent of Dixie is a CHF or Swiss franc. By the way, I'm not that smart. I'm just really good at Googling and I found the data on the ICE website. I'm glad you did because suddenly I was like, crap, I should know this, but I forgot. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just a small percentage. It you know, doesn't matter. Yeah, it's mostly, it's like 50, 50 some odd, 50, looks like 54% euro or something like yeah. that. Yeah. 
this data may be a little bit stale uh, on the on the ICE documents. There may be a, it may have changed since then, but it looks like it's a little over fifty five, somewhere between fifty four and fifty seven percent. So it's yeah. certainly the majority. Um, Dave, I always enjoy doing this with you, man. It's it's actually super fun to just jump on the terminal and say, "Hey, take a look. What do you see, man? I think it's great." Well, as always, it is a lot of fun, and you know, again, there's a lot going on in the markets, which is a really nice thing. You know, something different. Again, you know, if markets want to move up all the time, that's fine too. You know, get out of your own way and just accept that that's what the market's doing. But you know, having a change in trend really shakes things up, and it creates more trading opportunities. Um, and it's really key to kind of just accept that and just accept it for what it is, as opposed to trying to really get too philosophical about it. Yeah, exactly. I know we got underway a few minutes late here, and I appreciate you staying with us a few minutes later, Dave. Uh, give us some final thoughts, particularly if you wouldn't mind summing up the big picture with how you see these markets and what you're going to be looking for going forward. Yeah, you know, again, I, I won't venture too far beyond the next, you know, 12 to 24 hours, but you know, for me, the key level here, and it was really, again, I hate to keep hammering at home, but you know, these things are some of these things that you can know in advance and you can wait to see how the market reacts. I had 42.72, 42.75 pegged as a, as a big support level. The market held it overall, um, but given the anemic reaction from it, I think that's gonna be really the catalyst you know, for, for later tonight when futures reopen during the Asian session, of course, when they reopen, in, or not reopen, but when they continue on in New York tomorrow. Um, I think if we get below 42.75, I think it could get really interesting because I think at that point, you know, some of the people who are kind of holding out and just thinking this is yet another buy the dip opportunity, you know, at some point people, you know, start to get a little uh, a little nervous and they start to say, hmm, maybe it is a little bit different this time. I mean, look at ARC. I mean, got crushed today down to 106, I think was around the lows. You know, that break of 115 last week or the week before, I can't remember exactly what. That's kind of the telltale sign. It went from 114 to 124 over the course of the summer finally broke the lower band. So, you know, the the, the so-called stocks or the story stocks that everybody was in there for the long haul, I don't know, maybe they won't be in for the long haul. I mean, most of the inflows into ARC came at the beginning of 2021, if I'm not mistaken, or end of 2020. That was at much higher levels. And for all the people that say, hey, I'm in there for the long haul, I'd say, yeah, sure you are. Well, maybe at 106, you're starting to re rethink that. And, you know, this is the type of stuff that gets price action moving in a lot of different directions and creates a lot of opportunities on an intraday basis. Yeah. And looking at the day here, closing out S&P 500, 4,300, a couple pennies, uh, maybe the long haul that some of these folks were in it for is starting to look a little bit shorter. Absolutely. That, that's my point. Again, I'm not wishing anything bad on anybody. I'm not saying that you made a bad decision. I'm just saying when push comes to shove, sometimes the things you automatically think you will do you're like, oh, maybe I can't do that. Um, you know, there was a one of the famous market wizards guy, Bill Lipschutz, who's a currency trader. I remember him saying in an interview, whenever he had a client in his office who was going to invest in his hedge fund, and, the, and he'd say, hey, you know, can you handle the 10% drawdown? And the guy'd be like, oh, sure. And he'd always be like, well, that means 5%. Because men especially always overestimate what they're willing to do. The gal's probably going, no, I'm really comfortable with five. And she means five. <laughs> Guys are always like, yeah, I can handle that. And then when it happens, they're like, shit, no, I don't want to be down 10%. So, you know, it's time to, you know, do a reality check because markets can get away from you really quick. And I'm not saying they're going to, but 
They will at times. Make sure you're really positioned properly, know your stop loss, know your risk tolerance, because then you avoid all the nastiness that can happen. Yeah, well, I certainly can't end it any better than that. Dave Floyd, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Ash. Have a great afternoon. Thanks for watching, everybody. And thanks, as always, for your questions. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.